welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. trailer. I love that that little bumper that we have before uh, the series talks about us rooting ourselves and in order to grow into a tree. This is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. It's a picture of you as a disciple and a disciple maker. And, uh, and, and it's just a picture of community for us to join together into this forest that's called the kingdom. And that's what we've been going through uh, in our Rise series. We've been going through our DNA, Kingdom Disciples Society Church. And guys, kingdom is so key for this. Kingdom informs how we are a disciple, how we hear and obey. Kingdom informs how we engage society. Kingdom informs the church. And all these D, S, and C, they fall under the numerator of the kingdom. And, and so it's very important for us to grasp the kingdom. And, but, but nowadays, I feel like we're almost, a lot of people are getting the kingdom, but in our culture, in our society, the, the danger is that people want a kingdom, and they're okay with living in the kingdom without a king. And King Jesus binds all this together. Like, we cannot live in the kingdom without a King Jesus. And we're going to talk about who God is today. We're going to finish our series on generosity today. And our hope for you in closing out this series with this characteristic of who God is, is that you see the Father in his generous nature. And that informs how you walk with Jesus, how you follow the King. That informs how you live your life. Because if you can understand generosity, then you'll understand so much about being a kingdom disciple who engages society and will really understand how we're to be a church that influences our city and the world. So we're out of uh, Luke 15 today. And in Luke 15, there's three parables or three stories that Jesus gives, three illustrations he gives to talk about uh, to talk about a, a singular point. And then today, uh, the, we're, we're going to talk around that point, but we're going to really highlight the Father's generosity. And, and so in the first parable, Jesus talks about here in, in Luke 15, the lost sheep. In the second one, he talks about the lost coin. And in the third one, it's often called the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. But that's, that's a title that we've inserted into there. The, the actual, the scriptures don't actually give it a title. Uh, and, and it's important for you to recognize that this isn't just about a lost son. It's actually about, as Jesus says in verse 11, two lost sons. He says, uh, Jesus telling the story in verse 11. He says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. So we're going to trace both sons this morning. The younger one in verse 12 says to his said to his father, Father, give me my share, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Give me what's mine. So he goes to his father, and you have an indication right here that he does not understand the father's generosity. He doesn't understand it. 
he doesn't, he doesn't grasp it quite yet. And he says, Father, give me my share of the property, which, which uh, in, in, I say in that culture, but even in our culture, it's like me going to my dad and saying, Dad, give me what you said you're going to give me my will right now. While you're still alive, give it to me. I don't want to wait till you die to get it. I want it, I want it right now. That's essentially what the, what the son, the younger son, is saying to the father. I can't, I can't wait till you die, so give me what's mine. And so it's very, it's very brash. It's, it's, you see here that there's something a little off in his perspective, something, something a little off in his attitude. And he doesn't understand, right? He, he doesn't yet know. But the father doesn't argue. He's, it says, and he divided his property between them, between the younger son and the older son. So he gives the younger son what, 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 what is due him. Now, here's the thing about generosity, guys. Generosity goes above and beyond, right? Jesus says earlier, he says, if someone asks you for your cloak, give them your tunic as well, right? If someone asks you for your jacket, also give them your shirt. If someone says, uh, go this mile with me, go the extra mile with them. Go, go another mile with them. That's generosity. That is one of the defining characteristics of who we are as followers of Jesus. Our generosity shows the world something about the Father's character. And, and it's going the extra mile. It's not just doing what is expected. And here, the younger son asks for what is expected. Just his share. He doesn't understand generosity. He says, that portion is for me. That third of the pie is what he's asking for here, according to Deuteronomy. That third of the pie is mine. He doesn't understand generosity. He's just taking, he just wants this portion of it, right? Remember, remember that as we go forward. So the father does it. He's like, take it. Like he, has, he has no problems with giving it to his son. T- take it. Verse 13, not many days later, right? A short time later, the younger son gathers all he had and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So, th- so this is where the, the prodigal uh, nature comes in, this, this recklessness, this, this, um, this, this squandering. He just, he just squanders the property. And he goes to a far country. Now, this is important because what he does is he leaves the father's presence, and he goes and squanders it in a faraway land, right? He leaves the father's safety, he leaves the father's security, he leaves the, the comfort of his, of his home, he, he, leaves, um, he leaves even his, his, his status as a son behind, right? And, and he goes and he squanders his living elsewhere. This is a picture of really basically the entire Hebrew canon, the entire Hebrew scriptures, the entire Old Testament is, is right here. Because it's a picture of Israel, of, of God saying, you are my people, and blessing them, and then them taking that and forsaking God, them prostituting themselves to the nations, right? Israel does the same thing. They go, they go chase after the other nations and, and chase after their gods and chase after uh, uh, their spouses and chase after their goods and chase after their resources instead of relying on God in his generosity to give them what they need. 
they go and chase everything else, and the son is representing that here. He's, he's doing the same thing. He's like, I'm gonna take what's mine, and I'm gonna go spend it however I want. And here's, here's the thing about generosity, guys. Today, where I'm trying to give you something that is, that is gonna frame your discipleship, right? So as we talk about generosity today, it's not just about money. Right, we're not just talking about money this morning. Uh, I mean, it'll be in there, it's in the mix, uh, but uh, we're really gonna focus more up here in, in terms of what, what it really looks like to live a generous life and, and how do we really grasp and understand the Father's generosity. If you, wanna, if you want to focus more on money, which that's important, that's because money kind of, it, 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 it does a lot to distract us. We, we need money. It's, it's kind of like a necessary uh, thing that we have to worry about almost. Um, we get anxious about it. We worry about uh, even though the Bible says don't, don't do this. It's just, um, it's in our sinful nature, right? Uh, but if you want to learn more about that, you can go to our Discover Abundance series that we did. And, and, and really that we really focus on money there. But here we're, let's go up a bit above that. Money kind of falls under the generosity umbrella. And, and we're gonna just hit this characteristic. And that is what I mean that the son doesn't understand. He doesn't understand this, this essential uh, nature of God, of his father in this. And the father represents God in this, in this parable. So he goes and squanders what he believed was his and which, according to the law in Deuteronomy, was rightfully his, um, uh, he goes and squanders in reckless living. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, every last penny, every last copper coin, he spends everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Verse 15, so he went. And he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. So you see here, he chooses a status as a, as, as a hireling rather than recognizing his status as a son. And here you're going to see the word servant throughout this passage. And, and I just want to make a distinction real quick. Um, because servant here, uh, he's going to talk about like, I, I could just be one of my a hired servant. I could be one of my father's servants. Servants uh, here, uh, when you, he, when you see, hear that, think hireling, right? Um, because here's the thing. As, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be servants, right? Jesus says he came uh, not to be served, but to serve. So as you discover your identity in Christ, you discover it's one of servitude. It's one of serving others. So that is not a bad thing. So when you read this, this parable, don't think being a servant is a bad thing. Right? We are called to be servants. Look at so many of Paul's letters. He calls himself a servant. He calls himself a slave. He calls himself um, as doing this for others for their sake. So we are supposed to be uh, last, not first, right? The, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. So we are called to be servants. A servant's heart is good, but that's not what he has here. What he has here is a hireling mentality. Let me, let me uh, break that down for you. So if he recognized his status as a son and had a son mentality, he'd have a mentality of surplus, not a mentality of scarcity. And, and being a hireling, he thinks he has to earn and work for and, 
and, and earn things, right? And, and he has this mentality of scarcity. If I don't work harder, if I don't do this better, then I'm not going to have enough. And most of us live our lives that way, not understanding the generosity of father. We are just like the younger son and saying, oh, I have to do this and do this and do this so that I get this and get this and get that. So here's an example. I have to read my Bible. I have to pray this much. I have to do this in order to gain God's approval. That is not how the Christian faith works. That's not how your relationship with God works. That is a mentality of scarcity, not a mentality of surplus. It's also a mentality not of generosity, but a mentality of judgment. And a lot of us are still stuck in this mentality that God is waiting there, judging us, uh, waiting for us to mess up, not waiting there to, to lavish his generosity upon us. We're going to see this, see this later. And this, the younger son is stuck in this mentality. Because look at what he does. He doesn't go back to his father because he doesn't recognize that he's a son and that his status as a son has nothing to do with what he does. Oh, do you guys get that? Like, your status as a son of God, and I'm using son here, that applies to men and women because that's what the Bible uses. It says we are all sons because Jesus is the son and we are in him as the son, right? So uh, we are sons of God. There's no distinction there between a son of God and a daughter of God. We are all sons. We are all co-heirs with Christ. We all have the same status. He doesn't recognize that. And, and do you guys get that? You have nothing to do with that. Jesus has everything to do with your status as a son. And so you're going to take some missteps as you walk with God. As you walk with the Spirit and, and not walk with the Spirit, you're going to take some missteps here and there. You're going to mess up. You're going to sin. You're going to fail. You're going to, you're going to go, off the, go off the path, the, the straight path. And, and there's, but there's always opportunity to step back in, to walk with the Spirit. But, you, but it's essential for you to understand that God is a generous God in his love and his grace and his mercy. And the younger son does not get that at this point. And so he says, and so, so Jesus says he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens. So he becomes a hireling. And, and that guy sends him into the fields to feed pigs. Guys, this is... Uh, remember, this is a, a Jewish society. That's like the low. I mean, even in, our, even in our culture today, that'd be pretty low, right? That you're just hanging out with the pigs. Um, I mean, pigs smell, they're dirty, they eat anything, right? They're in the mud all day. Uh, and, uh, and, but especially in particular for, a, for someone who's Jewish, right? Who pigs are, are just unclean. It's like, it's like the unclean of the unclean foods, right? It's like the most, it's, it's like, this is, this is rock bottom. This is, this is the low of the low. And he's in the field feeding pigs. And he's so hungry, according to verse 16, that he's ready to eat what the pigs are eating. And it says no one gave him anything. So in verse 17, he comes to his senses. It says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants 
have more, so hirelings, that's what I'm talking about here, have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I'm just going to go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hirelings, as one of your hired servants. Remember, he still doesn't get it. He still doesn't understand that he has nothing to do with his status as a son. It's all based on his father's generosity, right? Now, don't, don't get me wrong. As a disciple of Jesus, we're called to hear and obey. But sometimes you're going to hear and disobey. And that doesn't mean your status as a son has changed. And here's the thing. When you sin, a lot, a lot of times when, when we mess up and we fail and we sin, we feel guilt and condemnation, which is not of the Father, um, uh, it says those who are in Christ Jesus do not experience that, uh, but we feel guilt, condemnation, shame, and then we feel like we have to make it up. So we have to feel bad about what we did, really bad, for a longer period of time in order to make it up. And all we're doing is perpetuating the vicious cycle of sin ruining our lives. And God is saying, come back to me, just come back to me, just return to me, just return to me. And, and we are just staying in the mud with the pigs. But if you recognize that you have status as a son, then you can get out of that mud and say, you know what? I shouldn't be here in the first place. I don't belong here. I'm seated, uh, I'm seated in Christ Jesus, who's seated at the right hand of the Father on high. And that is, my, that is where I belong. Uh, that will help you walk forward in your faith, not go backwards. Right? And, and, and so the son starts to recognize that, but he hasn't repented yet. He's thought about it, right? There's a difference. <laughs> a lot of us think about repenting, but we don't actually go through the action of doing it. Okay? So he's thinking about it right now. He's like, yeah, that, that's a good idea, but we haven't seen the, the fruit of it yet. We haven't seen the result of it yet. So he's going to go back as a hireling. Verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. His father was waiting for him. That word that says he felt compassion is, is the word in, in Greek. Uh, it, it's a funny word. Um, it, it's splankna. It's, it, it's the guts, it's the intestines is really what it's talking about. So when it says he felt affection and compassion, he feels it right in his splankna right here. He's like, I feel it right in my gut. And he has this immense compassion that's physiologically, um, that has physio physiologically compelled him, right? And he runs, and when it says he embraced him, it literally, it literally means he fell on his neck. And when it says he kissed him, it means he kissed, that word means he kissed him fervently. So he's like kissing him all over, right? Check out this, check out this picture. This picture that we're about to flash up was taken um, almost probably seven years ago. I think Emerson is three in the picture. We were out in a field somewhere, uh, Adam, me, Isaac, uh, I can't, can't remember who else, who other people were playing football uh, at uh, someone's like anniversary celebration. And, uh, and this is an impromptu moment that you're seeing right now. 
And Adam, in his, in his um, foresight, just put, put out his camera and took a picture of it. It's one of my favorite pictures, one of my favorite moments. I don't know if I'd remember it if it wasn't for Adam taking, taking the shot. And so you see the shot in action here right now. And, it's, and you see Emerson there, my oldest daughter, who was three at the time, uh, running to me. she just gone to the washroom, and, and I, she'd just seen me maybe, uh, I don't know, five minutes before. So it's not like she hasn't, it's not like it's been that long. But she's saying, Daddy, and she's running to me with her arms open, right? You even see kind of the blurriness of her running. And, and you see there's a mom and another daughter there, and uh, if you could zoom in on it, which you can, but if you could, they're smiling at it as they watch what Emerson running to me and me with, with open arms. This is a picture of this parable. But get this. Emerson doesn't represent the son in this picture. She represents the father. The father here is running and embracing and kissing his son like he's the child. The father is exuberant. He's filled with joy. He's, he doesn't care what anybody else thinks, right? He's running to him like a kid. He's been waiting for him this whole time. He's been waiting for his son to return home with open arms. And the father is not waiting for the son to run to him. The father is doing what Emerson does, is, is doing, and he's racing to the son like a child would. And it's this amazing, beautiful picture of what God does to us. He's not just waiting there on his throne in indignation and judgment and condemnation and punishment. If you return to him, he runs to you. Do you understand that Jesus didn't wait for us to come to him? He came down to us. He gave up everything for us. And he ran to us. Like, like this picture to, to embrace us, to fall on our necks, to, to kiss us, to carry us. And you have here the Father doing that. And then in verse 21... The son says to him, here's, here's, the, here's the, the repentance. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He recognizes his fault. He, he has like genuine contrition, right? He recognizes that, that he has sinned uh, pretty egregiously as well, right? Because he recognizes he actually has, has no right to be called the son anymore. He says, I'm no longer worthy. And you see there, his repentance is not due to the father's consternation, condemnation, or, or judgment, or anything like that. His repentance is compelled by the father's abounding grace, undying love, his father's generosity, which we're about to see. And the father says, to, in verse 22, to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, my son. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Guys, these aren't just sonship things. These are 
signs and symbols of authority and power. Right? The, the, the father here is saying, you are a co-heir. Like, it's like, yeah, you're a son, but you're a co-heir. Right? Get rid of that hireling mentality. Have a mentality of surplus, of generosity. You're a co-heir. And he gives them the symbols of power and authority. And he says, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's party. Like the banquet is about to start. And let us eat and celebrate. Verse 24, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they, him and his son and the servants and everybody, they began to celebrate with a feast. Because uh, so much uh, about generosity in the scripture surrounds food and, and banquets. Uh, because, um, I mean, think about food. We, we need food to survive. Um, so, but but when, you, when they talk about a banquet, it's like, there's a generosity there, right? It's not, just, it's not just a meal. It's like, it's a buffet. And I know sometimes we, we think, we, we probably get bad connotations of buffets, but let me, <laughs> don't think Golden Corral, okay? Uh, banquet, think the, the, the choicest of meats. I love how Adam always says this, the choices of meats, the choices of wines, right? If you're a vegetarian, the choicest of vegetables, <laughs> Like mushrooms and stuff? Yeah, I'm thinking like, what, what are the choices of vegetables? Um, but like, you know, the, the ones without pesticides, the ones from the farmer's market, right? The, the, the choicest of vegetables, the choicest of pickles, right? Like, think, think about this. Uh, it's, just think about what you like, right? Then it's there, right? Like your birthday dinner, right? It's, it's what you want your mom to make for you or, or your, your spouse or whoever to, to make for you. It's like your birthday dinner is there, and it's a banquet. Whatever you want, whatever you want is there. That's the imagery here. They, they kill the fattened calf. They're going to party. They're going to celebrate. And that's a younger son. Beautiful story, right? But remember, there's two sons. So now, in verse 25, his older son was in the field. And as he came near and drew near the house, near to the house, he heard music and dancing Oh, man, that's awesome, right? Music and dancing, let's, let's party. So he calls one of the servants and asks, well, what, what, what's going on? What do these things mean? In verse 27, he says to him, the servant says to him, well, your brother's come, and your father, he's killed the fattened calf. Like, we get a party because he's received him back safe and sound. How amazing is that, older brother? But like... Most of us would react if this happened to us. The older son reacts. And so don't think you're better than him. Put yourself in this story. Most of us would react in the same exact way. Because uh, I love what, what um, Joycelyn prayed over this time this morning. She said that when it comes to generosity, a lot of times... We compare God's or someone's generosity to us with somebody else's. And the older son is doing that. He's about to do that. He's, he's comparing how he's experienced generosity with how his brother has experienced generosity. And he says, and it says he was angry and he refused to go in. 
And his father came out, just like he came out to the younger son, his father comes out to him and pleads with him and entreats him to come in. And look at his response. He's, the, the older son says, look, these many years I have served you. He also has a hireling mentality as a hired servant. He was earned, trying to earn his father's love. He was trying to seek approval. Guys, in Christ Jesus, you are already approved. Already. You don't have to do anything. You're already approved. Now, now work out of that overflow. Work out of that approval, right? You, you live for Jesus out of that approval. You don't have to seek and strive for the approval. But the older son is doing that here. He doesn't understand the father's generosity. The younger son has grasped it now, right? He's got the ring. He's got the, he's got the robe. He's got shoes on his feet, like new shoes. He's having a party with everybody. Like he's really grasping the father's generosity here because he doesn't deserve it, and the father is lavishing it, uh, it upon him. And the older son says, I've served you all these years. And, of course, he hyperbolizes this, and he exaggerates this, Grossly, He says, I've never disobeyed you. Uh, yet you never gave me, basically you've never even given me a young goat. Now, you give him the fattened calf, but I haven't even gotten a goat. Then I might celebrate with my own friends. But when this son, and you see distance here, he says, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, which he adds that, that isn't mentioned above, now, it, it could be implied, but the brother adds this. He just assumes this. You killed the fattened calf for him. He's comparing generosity. I heard a preacher say once, there's no win in comparison. You're never going to win that way. He doesn't see the goodness that he has. The father's trying to help him see that here in verse 31. He says, and he said to him, son, which actually I like the translation better child there because there's in the Greek there's a word for son huios there's a word for child technon and the word for child is used here so the word for son now obviously a male child is implied here right that's the connotation here which is why it gets translated as a son but child here I, I like that that tech, uh, sorry that um, translation because it has certain implications and connotations he says, child, you're always with me. And he's, he's, he's reckon- so there's a term of endearment there. He's not just like, son, you're wrong. He's like, child, like, come, come here, right? Let me, let me show you something about who I am. There's a, there's a love there. There's an abounding grace there. There's, there's an endearment there. But there's also an indication of the son's maturity there. Well, you can say son, and that can mean a son like me, who's older. It can mean a son like uh, Ethan, who's, who's younger, um, right? You have so many different age, age ranges there. I mean, my, my dad's a son, and he's, he's way older than me. Um, and so you have there so many different, different ranges. Uh, but when you say child, that indicates uh, something else here. And, and it speaks this, to the older son's maturity level here, his spiritual maturity, right? He's, he's, he's not even understanding the basic things of who the father is. And he said it. He's been with him all these years, and he still doesn't get it, right? Guys, 
as you walk forward in your faith as a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples, understanding the generosity of the Father is key to how you live your life as a follower of Jesus. If you understand that, you will know that his grace is sufficient for you. It's always there. And you see here that both sons, they they don't get that. They're not satisfied in that. C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory, he says, he says, we are half-hearted creatures. We're distracted. We chase after drink, sex, ambition. When what we have offered to us is infinite joy. That's the generosity of the Father, guys. You have infinite joy that is that you have access to, and you're choosing these things of the world that satisfy for seconds and minutes. C.S. Lewis goes on to say that we are ignorant children, right, child here. We're, we're ignorant children who are satisfied with playing with mud pies in the slums because we cannot even imagine what is offered to us and what is meant by this offer at a, ho- uh, at a ho- holiday at sea. He says, "That's offer- this beautiful thing is offered to you. And he says, we are so easily satisfied. We're too easily satisfied, guys, by the things of this world. What's offered to us is this holiday at sea is the Father's generosity, and neither son understands that. And so you may not be the younger son this morning, but you may be able to identify with the older son or, or vice versa. And the father says this in verse 31. He says, child, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate. That, that's not, that there's a, uh, the, in the Greek, it's actually really strong. It's not just, oh, it was fitting to celebrate, which that's how we could read it in English. It was necessary to celebrate. We could not not celebrate. We had to. We were compelled to. We had to celebrate, and we had to be glad. We had no other choice, right? Like, because your brother was dead, and now he's alive. And you see the father correct the son there, right? Because he says, oh, this your son. The father says, no, this your brother was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Right? He's shifting his mentality, his family mentality here. This is your brother. Don't forget that. Like, why aren't you concerned about him? Don't be like Jonah who's going to weep under the, the, the vine when, when all Nineveh comes to faith. He's your brother and he was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and he, now he's found. How can you not celebrate? What is in your heart that you can't celebrate that? And you get to join in on the generosity. Like, this party is not just for him. It's for all of us, he's saying. Like, come on in and, and celebrate. Invite your friends. Sure, all that I have was always yours. And guys, in generosity, in resources, in money, and in, in all the things that we have from God, we have this mentality of scarcity where we say, this is how we think of giving. God gives me things, and I'm going to give back to God. Guys, that is a very severely reductionistic view of what God's given us. Do you think God needs you to give 
anything back to him. He has everything. Psalm, Psalm 24 says, the earth is his and everything in it, the fullness thereof. Everything is his, right? And here, the father's saying, actually, everything is yours. And we're here pining for things for God, begging for things. And he's like, and we're, we're just like the younger son. We're saying, God, give me my piece of the pie. And God's saying, you can have the whole pie. I'll, I'll actually make more pies for you. I have a pie-making factory. And I'll give you whatever pie you want. It's all yours. If you can understand that, that will change the way you operate in spiritual gifts. That will change the way you're generous with money. That will change the way you work at your job. That will change the way you see your, your relationships. That will change the way you experience sickness. That will change the way you go through struggles in life. That will change the way you, you understand suffering. If you understand that God is generous and all that he has is yours, he says, you're always with me. You cannot leave my presence. You're in my hands. No one can snatch you out of my hands. You're always here. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're always with me. Jesus is your life. You're hidden in him. All that is mine is yours. And, and this, this, this parable here, this banquet in this parable parallels Luke 14. In Luke 14, you have this other parable of Jesus talking about a great banquet. And he says, there's a man who gave a great banquet and he invited a bunch of people. And at that time, and then when the time of the banquet came, he sent out a servant. He said, go invite everybody. Tell them everything is ready for them. Everything's ready. The table is set. The food is done. The music is playing. The, there's, there's decorations up. All we need is the guests. All we need is the people to experience the banquet. All we need is the people to experience the generosity of the Father. All we need to make this party happen is you. So they go out and get to get people. But in verse 18 of chapter 14, it says, but all of them started to make excuses. They have this banquet, this celebration. This is the kingdom, guys. As I'm talking about at the beginning, this is the kingdom. It's there waiting for them. It's all theirs, just waiting to partake in right now. Not sometime in the future in heaven when we die. The eternal life starts now. The abundant life is now. You have access to it. The banquet table is set. Come and partake. But they all started to make excuses in verse 18. And the first says this. They said, well... I, I bought a field, and I, and I got to go out, and I, I got to go see it. Do I have to come? Can I be excused? Do I, do I have to go to the banquet? Because I, I, I got this field. And we're, we're, maybe you don't relate to, to that yet, because you're like, well, I'm not going to go buy a field. Substitute field with house. How many of you, your, your whole existence right now, goes around purchasing a house to live comfortably in. Substitute it with, uh, I don't know, your career, your job, anything you, anything you want to buy, right? 
I have this. Do I, do I have to? I don't, I don't have time to come to your banquet. I don't have time to partake in the, in the kingdom. That's what we're talking about here and in this parable. I, I, I bought a field, so I have to go and see it. The second one says this. It's a, well, I bought five yoke of oxen. I got to go examine them. Do I, do I have to come to the banquet? I got my new car, right? I've been waiting to have this car. Do I have to go? I have my this, you know? I have my, I have my hockey. Like I play on a hockey team. I have my, my sports league. Do, do, I, do I have to be with, with other believers on Sunday, like to be part of the church? Like, do I have to do that? Is it really necessary for me to be a part of an R3 group and, and to do life-on-life -life discipleship with people? I mean, I got other things to do, right? Do I have to, like, do I, 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 I know in partaking of the banquet, like, this is, this is a big part of my food, right? This is, I mean, this is the bread of life. This is the word of God. This is, this is um, where I'm going to get my sustenance, this Bible here. Do I have to read it? I mean, can I be excused? Like, I, I got other things to do here. I got, I got my Netflix, right? I, I have, I'm so busy, right? I, I have to study. I'm so busy. I, I have to, you know, pick your thing, right? Please, can I be excused? That, these are the excuses that they're giving for the banquet. Verse 20, another says, I've married a wife, and therefore I can't come. God, I just had a, I just had a baby. Now I don't have, I, I can't make disciples right now. I have a baby. I can't come to celebrate. I, I just got married, and I'm trying to figure out this whole marriage thing. I can't come celebrate. I have a fam, I have a family, God, like. This is of you too, right? I have a family, so I've got to take care of my family things. I have these worldly responsibilities. I, I, do I have to come to the banquet? And so the servant reports all these things to the master. And the master becomes angry and says to the servant, well, do this. Go out and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Why? Well, because they're not distracted by the things of this world as much as we are, by our comfort and our complacency and our material things. And guys, hear me. I'm not saying your job is not valuable. I'm not saying your family is not valuable. But when that becomes the priority over the kingdom, over making disciples, well, you have your priorities wrong. You have your priorities off. And you're always going to be struggling. You will never understand the Father's generosity. You will always have a mentality of scarcity. You will always think of yourself as a hireling, not, as a, not having status as a son. And he says, bring them in. And they come. They come. And he says, there's still room, master. And the master says, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come that my house may be filled. For I tell you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Guys, I don't know about you, but I want to accept the invitation of the Father 
to partake in the banquet. I don't want to be on the other side who says, well, you had your chance. You had your shot, and you chose the things of this world, and you made excuses for following Jesus. And I'm talking about discipleship because Jesus goes into it right afterwards. He says, he says, well, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Guys, I get following Jesus is hard. I get that there's a lot of people who, who, who pull on you. I get that, that it's, it's, it's draining sometimes. But if you have the mentality that you have everything in the Father, if you have the mentality that you have all of, you have access to everything that, that has been given to Jesus and, and that everything he has is yours if you know his generosity, then you will be able to bear your cross daily. You will be able to suffer daily. That's, that's not, because that's, that's kind of a euphemism here, but it's for suffering. Like we are called to this life that Jesus showed us. Now, it's also abundant, right? But, but it's this life where, where we're, we're not distracted by the things of the world, but we are following Jesus full on. We are running after him. We're laying aside every hindrance that is seeking to stop us, as Hebrews says, and we're running towards him. And he says, you can't be my disciple if you don't do that. You have to count the cost. Verse 33, so therefore, any of you who, do not, who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Guys, that's, that's a hard saying. Whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He says, salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, if it's lost its saltiness, how shall it be restored? That, that, that phrase in, in the Greek there is, is um, basically if salt has chosen foolishness, this should make you think of the Proverbs, right? Your choice there is wisdom or folly. The beginning of, of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, or you choose folly. And so here, if you were to literally translate it, it would say salt is good, but if salt has chosen foolishness, how shall its saltiness be restored? Guys, we want you to run with Jesus. How do you be restored? You want to be restored this morning? You want to know the abundant life today? You want to know what it's like to follow Jesus. You want this, this sun mentality. You want this surplus mentality. You want this mentality of abundance and joy and generosity and grace. Then you make disciples. You have to recognize that everything that Jesus has, you have access to. And Matthew 28 says, go it says, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And our lives are hidden in Jesus. And then he says, go and make disciples. Not go and make a living. Not go and make a family. Not go and make a career. Not go and make yourself comfortable. Not go and make anything else. But go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. That's when salt is good. That's when you're salt and light. That's how salt gets restored. You go and you teach 
everything that Jesus taught us and you baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, I am with you to the end of the age if you do this. I'm with you to the end of the age. This is the Father saying, you're always with me. Everything that I have is yours. Guys, our world is full of lost sons and spiritual orphans. You are called to make disciples. So go and showcase the love, the grace, and the generosity of the Father. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for those things. Thank you that you lavish them upon us, that we have no lack in you. Help us to realize and recognize that this morning and, and Father, transform our hearts and our minds by that and use us for your glory. We ask this in your name, amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.